everybody. Welcome back to the Frogs Insider Podcast, part of the Dave Campbell Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. I'm joined, as always, by co-host Jamie Puckett. I am Melissa Freebwasser. We are super excited to be joining you guys again. We appreciate you listening and following this step of the journey for us, um, listening to the podcast as part of the Republic of Football Network, checking out our Patreon um, at patreon.com slash frogsinsider. Um, and those of you that have subscribed and are supporting us that way too, is it's just super awesome to see. Um, we do this because we love covering TC football and and we love getting to interact with all of you guys. So uh, really appreciate your support as, as we've uh, kind of taken this new step out into the wilderness it's it's been awesome to uh to see that support follow us so uh we've got lots to talk about again jb yes, so, as per usual um we had a spring football game we had some friday night lights this past week uh, we have tons of basketball news like a large amount of basketball news and we're being really honest we've got to talk a little bit about tc baseball as well and not the most blowing of terms after they drop a series to unc wilmington um at home this weekend so jam-packed weekend around fort worth a lot of activity across those three major sports let's start with football though because football season now is kind of on hiatus until august you were down there at the spring game before we talk about what happened on the field what was the vibe like in the stadium? What was the fan base like? I mean, coming off of a national championship appearance, having the opportunity to capitalize on kind of that nationwide bump, how did it feel to be back in the Carter, around the fans, around the program again? It was great. It was it was a good atmosphere, I think, on Friday nights. You know, uh, I think um, the gates opened at 6, the game started at seven and ended at eight. And then they did fireworks afterwards. I mean, the lower bowl was pretty full. Um, a lot of folks showed out a lot of kids there to, to watch the frogs. A lot of kids kind of pushed up on the railing behind the bench, trying to get autographs and, and players kind of responding and that sort of thing. All of the seniors who just worked out at the combine who were trying to go pro um, were there as well on the sideline, kind of cheering on their teammates. Some guys had come back like Shewa Walanalua was there. Uh, I forgot how big he is um, until I stood right next to him and realized who I was standing next to. And I was like, Jesus, you are massive. Um, Huge, huge human. Uh, And it was kind of, you know, compared to the fact that he was standing right next to Amari Di Mercado. Wow. Very different body types on you guys. That Alabama, the Derrick Henry. Yes. It was very much Derrick Henry standing next to, um, uh, who is it? Mark, um, Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram. Yeah. And, uh, it was very much that, um, but it was a good atmosphere. It was high energy. A lot of fans came out to see the frogs get their, get their licks on each other. And, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, you know, spring football is spring football. The spring game is always going to be the spring game. Like you're not going to learn a tremendous amount about your team in spring football. 99% of the reason for that is because coaches don't want you to learn yeah. a lot about your football team. We know that well uh, from, from the Gary Patterson era. <laughs> exactly. And that's still that's still a pretty uh, pretty rampant in, in college football these days. But uh, I will say that it was a good glimpse into this offense under Kendall Bryles, kind of seeing what he's planning on doing a little bit differently than what Garrett Riley did. Uh, it was good to see some of these guys coming into their second year in Joe Gillespie's defense. And it was nice to see some of these freshmen and transfers get some playing time on the field. Uh, so that we can kind of get an understanding of just what they bring to the table. Again, this isn't like a huge opportunity to learn a ton, but it is a good opportunity to just see some guys in pads hitting each other uh, and trying to glean as much as you can 
from that. So overall, though, the environment was was really good. And, and shout out to the marketing staff and, and everybody that kind of had a hand in, in making that happen because it was great. Oh, we're going to talk about some of those those key players before we kind of move on to that. You know, Jeremiah Donati sat down with uh, Brian Estridge, our, our good friend, and another good friend of ours who's now going to be part of the booth crew, um, yes. taking the place of John Denton is Landry Burdine, and then taking Landry's place on the sidelines, another just excellent human being in Elvis Gallegos. Uh, really excited. That was their first time kind of together officially calling a game. Uh, I was watching from afar on ESPN. You were you were there in person, and I just I want to just totally give a shout out to that, that trio. Um, JD's shoes are big to fill, but Landry is absolutely the right guy. Had so much insight, offered just a ton of uh, just just knowledge of the game, but also just insight into the kind of the psyche of the team and everything that I thought was great. And Elvis had one of the hardest jobs in the building, trying to track, track down those coaches during a spring game and get some sideline interviews. Did an awesome job. Really excited about about what those guys are going to bring next fall. Um, but listening to, to Jeremiah Donati, you know, one of the questions that Landry asked him was, how do you capitalize on the momentum that was built over the course of this just magical run to the national championship? And uh, Donati, you know, hit all the big points. He talked about how, you know, the the human performance facility has been com- almost completely fully funded based off of that run. Um, how, uh, how the trickle down into other sports, things like, uh, you know, beach volleyball is benefiting from that. Baseball is going to benefit from that. Uh, women's volleyball is going to benefit from that. Um, it, it's really touched not just the football program and the momentum there, but every aspect of the university. Fundraising, you know, they're setting records there. Season tickets, they're setting records there. Uh, the investment that that football run brought, much like we saw after the 2010 Rose Bowl, is absolutely impacting TCU as a whole, um, which also means that applications are up. And as a high school teacher, it means that some of my students had their hearts broken. And, uh, you know, which it's a little bit tough, a little bit tough for me, but um, just the, the interest and the love for TCU that has grown off of that run once again is it's been incredible to see and um, it's it's really awesome to see the university understanding the opportunity that they had and totally jumping on it and making the most of it uh, it's, it's a special time for TCU and they have maximized the benefits that are going to come from that and um, just really excited to see what this university is able to do now in their next steps yeah you know I, I think uh, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, just from a, from a program building standpoint, it's, it's really cool that we have this opportunity now to see Sonny, not just in year two, but in years two, three, four, possibly even five build a football program. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think for a long time we said under the, you know, the final few years of Gary Patterson, all right, this team has a lot of talent. They're not playing up to their level. They're not, um, you know, performing at the, at the, clip they probably should be for who they're bringing in as far as recruits and transfer portal kids and all that kind of stuff and you're one of sunny dykes it was really a, a nice validation for tcu fans i think to see that talent perform at the level that it was expected to and probably above the level that it was expected to over the last few seasons and i think that for us gave us a good picture of what sunny dykes can do when he has essentially a pretty fully loaded roster, there were some, yeah. there were some holes on that roster. There are some, some bigger holes on this, the roster this year, but Hey, when sonny has got the talent, here's what he's capable of doing. So that's a really good sign for a first year coach. Now, because of the success of year one, he's bought himself a pretty long runway, I think to mm-hmm. show us how he can build a football team up because he lost a ton of production off of last year's roster. And now he has to do the work of recruiting and and bringing in transfers to not only just replace that, but to um, develop some younger talent as well. And so it'll be really nice that to see, it'll be nice to see Sonny 
build a program and build a roster over the next couple of seasons. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does that. Uh, well, and, and it's because of the, of the first season he had that he's going to be afforded the time to do that. And so often you don't even see coaches uh, have the full opportunity to build a roster these days. Yeah. They're gone after two or three seasons. But I think because of the success in year one, we're going to kind of see Sonny maybe reverse engineer season one in years mm-hmm. two, three, four, and five. Well, and the really cool part about it too, on the other, on the flip side of that, is not only is he going to have time to build the roster, but he's going to have guys calling to that want to be a part of his team and his program at TCU that never would have picked up the phone, let alone maybe answered the phone had he called them. And we got to see a handful of those guys kind of show out Friday night, and and he, maybe this guy was probably not the hottest ticket in the transfer portal, but holy crap, did TCU look like they got an absolute stud in John Paul Richardson. Yes. Um, a guy who was, um, I think it's fair to say, underutilized at Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy's offensive system. Um, somebody who, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a really great game against TCU this past season, but probably not a lot of college football fans outside of the Big 12 for sure had ever heard of. Looked the part of a super duper star Again, in a spring game, mm-hmm. but did some things that that really kind of just just left me going, oh my gosh, like this was not the guy I was most excited about picking up in the transfer portal, but he might be the guy at the end of the season that we're talking about as the best receiver on this team. What were your kind of uh, immediate reactions in watching? J- You've watched them all, all, all spring, but in watching JP in a game situation. Yeah, so here's the thing about John Paul Richardson. I don't think I've seen him drop a pass yet in spring, and now spring's That's over, good. Right? So, I'm glad that you, so, you said that, because I did quote you in that in my article, um, and I, I was like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that JV, I just, you're doubling down on the accuracy there. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, we can, we can say that, yeah, that I've said it multiple times. I don't think I've seen him drop a pass yet this spring. Uh, he's got some of the surest hands I've seen on a receiver. He's fast. He runs incredibly good routes. Uh, and we got a, a chance to see all of that in the spring game. He caught passes from Chandler Morris and Josh Hoover. Uh, uh, you know, I think one of the passes that he really wanted back was a pass where he he ran a, I don't know, like an eight-yard post uh, and absolutely dusted whatever cornerback was on him. I can't remember who it was. And Chandler missed him by probably 15 mm-hmm. feet over his head. Yeah. If you make that throw, that's a 98-yard touchdown. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's going to catch him. He's already behind the safety at that point. Um, but he did have 49 catches and 500 yards and four touchdowns last year for the Cowboys. And I'm trying to pull up while I do this. So it's a good thing that I'm vamping right now. Um, he had the third most receiving yards on the team and he had the third most receiving touchdowns on the team last year. Uh, 32 receptions, 566 yards and three touchdowns is what it says on this website. On sports reference, it's different. Anyways, <laughs> I, I think his career. I, I think I wrote about that. His his career receptions were were something in the in the seventy something range, and he did. I mean, he was a yeah. very productive receiver. But uh, when you look at the way that this kid runs routes, um, his mm-hmm. ability to get open, just his quickness on his release. Um, TCU now obviously is very thin at corner right now because so many of the the projected too deep are out with injuries, including Josh Newton. I don't think Avery Helm did not play on Friday night either. Um, there you're you're likely two starters and so sure maybe he's not seeing you know the the best corners he's going to face but just technique wise looks like yeah. the real deal 
He does. And I mean, you're still going up against pretty good corners. Channing Canada was mat- matched up against him a lot. That was a kid who's the number one cornerback out of the Juco ranks this year. Brandon Fontenette is a guy who yeah. coming in as a true freshman early enrollee has really impressed the coaching staff this spring. And so lined up against him a little bit as well. But Brandon is a kid to watch to earn some of the playing time in that cornerback rotation in the fall, just for, for what he's been able to do this spring coupled with his speed and his size uh he looks like another kind of one of those you know traditional lockdown cornerbacks that tcu fans have gotten really really used to over the last you know 10 years or so going all the way back to jason barrett so um it it was good to see some of those younger guys get some reps in front of fans uh just to kind of see how they reacted to you know probably four thousand people five thousand people in the stands kind of watching them um play some football there but uh, yeah jpr did a great job uh we talked to him after the game um unfortunately my audio is absolutely shot because while we talked to sunny and jp just fireworks were going off yeah and yeah like, that'll do it. not only the fireworks but like smoke was coming onto the field like the little paper scraps from the fireworks were like still kind of ember burning onto the grass on the football field so i'm great. sure the tcu grounds crew shout out to tcu grounds crew i'm sure the they're best. having a hell of a week this week Yeah, getting the grass just not on fire anymore. Yeah. Cause there were a couple of parts where I walked over and kind of stamped them out. Cause I was like, this might start a fire. Um, but he, you know, he talked afterwards about how loaded he thought the wide receivers room was. He mentioned Savion. He mentioned Jordan Hudson. Uh, he mentioned major Everhart. Who's a guy I know you want to talk about as well on this episode, Melissa. And um, you know, he, he did say that he felt like, in the few months that he's been here, uh, he's being put in a much better position to be successful, mm-hmm. not just as an individual, but as an offense. And so that's really good to hear from a guy who has Big 12 experience from another program who's been near the top of the conference for the last several years uh, to say that about what uh, the new offensive staff has been able to do just in the few months of spring uh, is a good sign, I think, for, for moving forward. Yeah, I think absolutely. And and when you think of Mike Gundy, you know, you think of one of the elite offensive minds. And so to go from that situation to this situation, um, yeah, and and to have those kind of high praise is a huge deal. Um, you mentioned Major Everard. I do want to talk about him. Um, he, you know, I think he's a guy that was so highly recruited um and was so well thought of in that process, but that we kind of forgot about because he didn't get a lot of he's not has not had a lot of opportunity um, you know, in his first year plus on campus now. Um, he looked just like an absolute uh, game changer when it comes to speed and quickness and ability to change directions um, and on Friday night and was mentioned as a guy who can kind of potentially fill that Darius Davis role out of the slot. Um, you know, he you can line him up in the backfield, you can line him up in the slot, you could probably put him outside as well. There's, he can do a lot of different things, but has that shiftiness, has that just elite next level speed that the TC offense has been so reliant on over the last several years. Um, really excited about what he did and how he performed and maybe what his role is going to be if he can kind of break into that wide receiver rotation as you mentioned is so deep to do so one of the guys he's going to have to beat out is another guy that looked good another one of those really really highly valued transferred and that is Jojo Earl um, one of the three Alabama players that came over this this spring and and one of the two that absolutely showed out on Friday night Mm -hmm. yeah Jojo uh, was as advertised I think on Friday night he was fast he was shifty, avoided tackles well, caught the ball close to the line of scrimmage, and then made plays happen. Had a touchdown catch as well. Um, looked really, really good. Uh, and like he's going to step into that 
uh, slot role um, and, and just kind of pick up the banner from from Darius Davis and uh, his counterparts, his uh, you know quote unquote waterbug counterparts, and and just kind of take the torch and carry it forward. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who ends up doing a lot of work in the return game. Yeah, because when you've got a guy like JoJo who maybe has a little bit of an injury history, I don't know if they're going to expose him to that a ton, but. Like you mentioned, Major Everhart's another guy who could could probably step back there and and take that. Um, Corey Wren role is as well. also Corey Wren is another guy yeah. who spent most of last year injured, transferred from Florida State. Uh, there's there's some options in the return game as well. But yeah, JoJo and, and Major both looked great. Uh, they both had really good springs as well. Um, and and it's it's kind of like JP said after the game, like this running or this wide receivers room is is pretty loaded. Yes, you're going to miss Quentin Johnson, and you're gonna miss Darius Davis and you're gonna miss Tay Barber Barber and some of these other guys um but it's definitely a reloading situation for the frogs at wide receiver and before we move on to quarterback the guy that's gonna be responsible for taking advantage of that talent we definitely need to talk about uh we want to talk the other half of that one two offensive punch from Alabama uh uh Trey Sanders looked Mm -hmm. outstanding um you know, when you lose a guy like Kendry Miller, you lose a guy like Amari DeMarcado, you, there were a lot of talent kind of coming up the pipeline after those guys, but you still don't have necessarily that dominant player. Trey Sanders reminds me a lot of Kendra Miller, just a little bit bigger, but he has that burst. He's so patient waiting for the holes to develop. It's something we're going to talk about the offensive line, but something he's going to have to be very patient waiting on those holes. Um, but he also sought out contact. He was willing to run through guys. He was breaking tackles. He was running past guys. As he gets his explosiveness back, he looks like the type of player that could be kind of that 1A. He won't be the only guy running the football for TCU. We're going to see two, three, maybe even four guys that, that are getting significant reps. But as Kendall Bryles you know, mentioned on the broadcast, he wants to run the god dang football, I think is what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a huge part of TCU's game this year. And Trey Sanders looks like a guy that can carry the load if he can stay healthy. And he certainly looks healthy right now. He definitely does look healthy. He's another guy that's had a great spring. Uh, and I, I agree. I think he he looked good on Friday night. He had a, a wheel route reception for a touchdown. He had another rushing touchdown as well. There's there's a lot to compare him to as far as Kendra Miller's running game goes. But I'll say this: he's he's probably at least two two and a half inches taller yeah. than Kendra. He's probably got about 15, 20 pounds on him. Um, and one thing that I did notice, you know, Kendra was always so good at absorbing contact mm-hmm. and maintaining balance. Like there were, mm-hmm. there were some moments in Kendra's career where I'm like, how did he not go down? Right. Like staying on one foot, catching himself with his offhand, and then just willing himself to stay up and keep running. There were a couple moments on Friday and I've seen a couple throughout spring as well, where, you know, Sanders gets hit and maybe his, his footwork isn't quite where it needs to be for him to maintain his balance. So mm-hmm. his feet are a little close together when he's jumping through a hole, uh, and the offensive line, or he, you know, he's just not maybe fighting all the way through some contact, but again, that's part of coming back from an injury. That's part of kind of shaking off the rust on some of the finer details of that position. But uh, there's no doubt that TCU has found a potential workhorse running back in Trey Sanders to come in and fill the void that was left by Kendra Miller. So it, it's exciting to see a guy like him get some reps. Then you also have Imani Bailey, who's going to have an extended role mm-hmm. uh, or an expanded role come fall. Um, Corey Wren, who's probably going to have an expanded role come fall as well. So you're looking at a running back room that is 
going to have some some decent depth there um, when you think about the fact that you've lost Zach Evans and Kendra Miller in consecutive years now. Yeah, and we saw Trent Battle too carry the football, mm-hmm. not just catch Will Rots, which was great. Um, okay, we got to talk about quarterback. You know, we said we we had such high illusions of being able to keep each segment to about fifteen minutes here, and I, I think we're already well past that on football. But um, uh, so we we heard a lot about Josh Hoover. Sonny Dykes talked him up. We heard a lot about him last fall as a true freshman. We heard a ton about him this spring, even as they kind of promoted Chandler Morris. And and like we talked about last week, the Chandler Morris propaganda machine was in full effect. We saw Josh Hoover really play for the first time Friday night. And holy cow, that kid can sling it. Uh, Hoover looks like the perfect quarterback in that system when he gets time, but he can also throw on the move. He throws a beautiful deep ball. Uh, just the, the he hit JPR um, on a about a sixty yard bomb just in stride. I mean, just could not have been more perfectly executed um, of of a route and a, and a pass. Um, and he he made a couple of those throws on the day. And while Chandler did struggle a little bit in the long game um, and in the medium passing game, he had some nice moments as well. Hoover really showed out. Now, you know, he wasn't always playing against the ones. Sure, that you can you can always kind of nitpick that performance in a spring game. But I think what TCU fans saw is that. He is legitimately a viable backup for Chandler Morris. And that's super important given Morris's injury history. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, th- people will forget that Josh Hoover didn't have a TCU offer until Sonny Dice was announced as the head coach. So Sonny gets announced on November 29th, I believe, of 2021. And, you know, seven days later, Josh Hoover is decommitting from Indiana where he had been committed for several months, if not longer, uh, and accepting a TCU offer and signing in the early signing period. And then he's on campus in January. So yeah. the, you know, this is a kid that would not even be in a TCU uniform if it weren't for the coaching change that took place uh, after the 2021 season. Um, but he has looked really good this spring. And I'll say this, he, his body looks different. And I always yeah. feel uncomfortable saying that about, <laughs> you know, people it's like, Oh, your body looks different. Well, he frankly just lost a ton of baby fat. He, you yeah. know, kids coming from high school to college, you know, their bodies are still changing and what Kazkazadi and the, the strength and conditioning staff have been able to do in a full calendar year now with Josh Hoover is nothing short of impressive. I mean, he looks stronger. He's incredibly lean he looks like he's throwing the, the ball harder. Yeah. Um, and and so all of that is is a good sign for a kid in year two of his collegiate development. And like you said, he came out on Friday night. He was slinging it around. He had a, he dropped a beautiful pass right in the pocket to uh, John Paul Richardson in between two guys who were kind of converging on him. Um, you know, made some really good reads, got the ball out of his hand quickly. And in this Kendall Browse offense, that's going to be critical is getting the ball out quickly we talked about this last week or maybe the week before about how that's another way that this team can keep Chandler healthy is by keeping the ball out of his hands as much as possible or getting it out of his hands quickly as much as possible so I don't think there's a true quarterback competition going on here because Chandler's going to be the guy but uh, it's nice to have some confidence in your backup heading into summer workouts yeah I completely agree. Um, we saw a lot of that kind of that quick game and what that's going to look like with Chandler Morris. That seemed to be more what they were focusing on when he was in the game. Um, we saw, God help us, there are going to be so many just quick outs, patterns, the flat, 
quick or screens, different things like that, that kind of stuff that's really frustrating sometimes as a fan to watch, but is a staple of the Kendall Bryles offense. And they didn't play with nearly the tempo that they're expected to play with come fall, but you definitely saw a tempo adjustment, even from the uh, the Garrett Riley offense, which was fast. Um, this team is, is going to get the ball up and down the field. They're going to probably be at or near the top of plays per game um, among the big 12 teams and maybe even the country. Um, and they are going to count on those quality wide receivers and those good running backs in order to make plays. Um, and and we saw all of that. Like, you know, I think it was Major Everhart that caught the ball about four yards behind the line of scrimmage, should have been absolutely blasted in the backfield, made a guy miss and turned it into, you know, a positive gain. And, and there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of that needing to happen, which can be a dangerous way to play football, but has been relatively effective for Bryles over the last several years. Um, and that combined with the quality run game will be great. And that combined with an offensive line that has some serious question marks is probably a necessity as well. Um, I I know you have some thoughts on this, but right now that looks to be the biggest weakness on this team. And I think now that the portal has reopened, Sonny Dykes and uh, company are going to have to do some, AJ Ricker are going to have to do some serious shopping in order to make this line functional and effective for next year. Yeah, I will say this. Willis Patrick, the Jackson State transfer, looked really good at right guard. Yeah. He's looked really good all, all spring yeah. at right guard. So that's a really good uh, commitment that they've got. Tommy Brockermeyer, the third Alabama kid that you mentioned earlier, uh, has been has been depth at tackle at this point. You know, third string, getting a yeah. couple second team reps, that kind of thing. But you have to remember with him, also coming off of a couple. Basically a freshman. Yeah, yeah. coming off Basically a couple significant a injuries. Learning, a you know, yeah, learning a new offense learning a new coaching staff, all this kind of stuff. So, so I think the transition for him is going to maybe take a little bit longer than Jojo Earl and, and Trey Sanders. But yeah. um, you know, I, I uh, John Lands is the starting center right now. And I just don't know if that's how you can roll into the fall Yeah, to be completely honest. Um, I like John. He's a great kid. He played really well in that rotation with Wes Harris at right guard last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just a level of responsibility at center that I don't know that there's anybody on this roster that can really yeah. handle that right now. And so yeah. I think if you're, if you're prioritizing a position along the offensive line to go out into the portal and get somebody because the portal window is open again, right? We're in that second spring portal window. I think center is really where you start to look. So, you know, there are a couple guys out here in the portal already. There's a kid from Texas A&M that just hit the portal recently who played center, uh, who, who plays center, who might, might be an option for the frogs to pick up, but you've got to go in the, and get at least one body uh, along that offensive line who you can, who you're fairly confident will plug in as a starter um, to kind of shore things up a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're going to go out and they're going to try and find a quarterback too at this point, since they still only have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, but you're right. I think offensive line is definitely the priority right now for, for shoring some things up. You know, I think at the at the end of these 15 practices, we got to see the spring game. The, the biggest thing is, is that you see that positive momentum continue. And I think that's what we're seeing in Sunny Dykes. You know, the, the, the question is, when you raise the bar so high for yourself in year one, how do you possibly match it? And when the only place you can go to go up is winning a national championship, it's an unreasonable expectation. And again, like we said, not the expectation most TCU fans have. But what we do want to see is we want to see a program that's consistently competing for Big 12 titles, especially ahead of the exodus of Oklahoma and Texas. You want to be that flagship program in the Big 12. You want to be, you know, one of the elite programs in that conference ahead of playoff expansion. You want to be a team that's always in the conversation in the mix. It looks like Sonny Dykes is certainly on the right track to doing just that. 
Um, like you said, there's some holes to fix. There's offensive line issues. You want to bring in another quarterback. Um, defense, we just really couldn't get much of a read on because of all of the guys that were held out for precautionary reasons or injury reasons Friday night. But there's a lot of positive to take about Joe Gillespie in year two. And they got so many key pieces back. That's exciting. Um, so I, I think we feel pretty good about the defense progressing. They weren't very good at times last year, but they got so much better towards the end of the season. As long as that trajectory stays put, feel good about that. Um, but overall, I think it was a great spring. It was exactly the spring that it needed to be for TCU. You would have liked to have maybe hit on one of those quarterback transfers, but outside of that, there's really not a lot to complain about or be concerned about. We'll see how the off season goes. We'll see what kind of leadership Chandler Moore shows. Um, what kind of work he gets in with those wide receivers um, in the offseason. That's so critical. And and we'll pick it back up here in, you know, about five months. Yeah. And now, you know, this is the, the season of recruiting, which yeah. I think Sonny mentioned at the national championship before, before that game, uh, you know, they've recruited like 45 of the 52 weekends of the year yeah. last year or something like that. So this is a, a year round effort as far as getting bodies into the program that can help yeah. you do those things like, like be successful and winning a national championship. And uh, the Frogs got their second 2024 commit um, over the weekend as well. Ryan Hughes, an offensive tackle out of the woodlands committed to the Frogs yes. joining house. Big, Haney. big boy. Yes. Six, six, two ninety five. held some pretty good offers, held an offer from Nebraska, held an offer from Virginia, Houston, Louisiana, air force, Memphis, uh, and, and committed to, to Ricker and TCU. So three-star kid out of the woodlands, uh, commits and is the second commitment, uh, behind house Haney, who he will be protecting yeah. in that class is Haney is nice. that quarterback from Alito. So good to see that they're starting to build up that class. I would fully anticipate a handful of, of commitments coming in yeah. in the next couple of weeks, not only from the 2024 class, but from the transfer portal, as well as recruiting season really starts to heat up. One, one last note, kind of before we move on to basketball, um, one of the things that the NCAA has recently adopted is there's no longer be a limit on official visits. And for a program yes. like TCU, I think that is such a, now again, kind of sucks for the coaching staff that that's just more work for them. But for a program like TCU, that's kind of a, a, a program on the rise, but maybe a school guys wouldn't look at for one of the, some of those elite prospects wouldn't take one of their five officials on being able to open that up and roll out that red carpet and show prospects what is happening on that university, not just in football, but the university as a whole and the athletics program as a whole to get more guys to be able to take those official visits and, and kind of wine and dine them is a huge win for a program like TCU that has the resources to certainly maximize that. So um, yes. that's a rule that's going to benefit programs like TCU and, and some of these smaller power five schools, I think in a huge way um, won't necessarily impact the, you know, the blue blood programs, Alabama, the Texas, the schools like that. Uh, but could be a huge win for TCU and Sunny Dykes because it's really hard. We, I mean, we yeah. all know this. It's really hard to get on TCU's campus and not want to stay there. It's true, and and you know that we are both you know living proof of that. Yeah. But um, you know, I think it will create maybe another tier of haves and have-nots yeah. in college football. Right, yeah. we're starting to see that happen with the portal. We're seeing that happen with NIL, and now I think that this is another aspect where that's going to be the case. You know, there's a report that came out recently that kind of listed all of the school's recruiting budgets. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like Oklahoma state was at or near the bottom. And I think yeah. it was like $454,000 annually was their recruiting spend. You know, you've got to assume which, and if that's, that's the lowest of the low end, yeah. right. That's so you're talking about schools now that are going to have to fork over what's three quarters of a million, a million dollars Minimum. annually yeah. in recruiting budgets. If they want these elite kids to come and use an official visit on them. Um, you know, I, I think there was an athletic article that broke down Arch Manning's official visit weekend yeah. to 
Texas where they had a couple other recruits too, but I believe that was what a $150,000 weekend for the university. And, and uh, so, I mean, you're talking about if you want some of those top tier kids to get on campus. Okay. Well, once they're on campus, what are you going to do to set yourself apart um, and really kind of make the impact that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to make otherwise. So, you know, it's, it's another way that, that money is going to get kind of divvied up. I think, or, or we're going to start to see pretty quickly what schools can afford to continue competing and what schools can't. Well, and that's one thing where for a change, TCU is probably in a positive position because if mm-hmm. there's one thing TCU could do, it is spend money. Uh, speaking of spending Very money, true. they hosted a couple of, uh, they had some, have had some recent official visitors uh, in the basketball program um, yes. and, and guys that are probably going to want some, some pretty nice NIL money as well. Uh, you had a great profile. Um, one of the first people to talk to Avery Anderson, the third Oklahoma state transfer, who's in the portal made his official visit, um, on campus this past weekend. And, and if you guys aren't subscribed to frogs, uh, insider, that's a great article to get your kind of foot in the door. It's definitely our most read article to date. Um, and, and gave us some great insight on Avery and, and his priority. What can you tell us about where he stands with TCU and, and where he stands in the priority for TCU coaching. I think Avery Anderson third is the top priority for TC right now in the transfer portal. As far as guards are concerned, uh, they obviously still need at least one big man body to go along with him in the portal. Um, but Avery Anderson is, is the guy right now for TCU, which is why, you know, Primo Spears, the Georgetown guard was also supposed to visit this weekend. His, Visit got moved. It's now happening, I think, on Tuesday, if it's still happening. Um, but uh, Avery Anderson is – they love him for several reasons. They love his speed, first of all, which a couple folks uh, around the program told me reminds them a lot of Mike Miles as far as his speed is concerned. Who, who's one of the fastest players in college basketball it, the last it, three seasons. Yeah, if not the fastest. And, yeah. and his top-end speed – and the way he can get to his top end speed is very similar to Mike's. Very, very uh, reminiscent of De'Aaron Fox for the Sacramento Kings, who, you know, I can't believe we made on. it this far in the podcast without me mentioning uh, uh, lighting the beam um, or that incredible instant classic NBA playoff game, Kings first win in 16 years, 17 seasons. Um, go Kings, light the beam. I'll watch it on the ticket when it comes out as a, uh, you know, a series recap of the Warriors winning in seven, you know, because of some official controversy, you know, which, which will almost certainly happen, but I, I will be yeah. in the building at gold one Monday night. So as long as they win that one, I'm, I'm good. As a Dallas Mavericks fan, I hope you don't suffer the heartbreak that I've suffered the last few years, but it's seemingly inevitable whenever Listen, you play golden state. So here, here's the deal. I'm a Kings fan. You can't hurt me. I'm already dead. Um, also I don't, I, it's been so long since I've lost in the playoffs. I've, I've almost forgotten the, how painful that can be. So I'm just going to enjoy it until it happens. Yes, that's fair. But all right. So back to Avery Anderson. <laughs> um, I chatted with him on Friday. Like Melissa said, you can read that profile on frogs insider. Um, but since then I've heard really good things about how the visit has gone. He was on campus until Sunday morning. Um, the coaching staff made a really big impression on him and he made one on them as well. They've known what his game is, which I've said, you know, top end speed, driving to the rim, incredible defender. We talked a lot about defense in that profile. And he said he can carry that defensive mindset and instill that at any college that he goes to. But he does like that TCU plays good defense already. He likes that they run already. Um, And from what it sounded like in my conversation with him, it seemed like he wanted to, he wants to stay in the big 12. Yeah. I, I asked him, I was like, what do you feel? you have left to prove wherever your next stop is. And he said, you know, I, I want to prove that I can win in this league. 
I don't feel like I've done that quite enough yet. I want to, I want to feel, or I want to prove that, that I, I am a winner and I, that I can win at the best level in college basketball. And, um, you know, I think when the con- consensus is that the big 12 is the best conference in college, uh, I think there's uh, an indicator there that maybe he wants to stay in conference. He'll have a couple options. If he does end up staying in the big 12 TCU is not the only school going after him. Baylor is making a really hard run for him right now as is Texas tech, as is Creighton. So I think those are some of the biggest uh, names to watch out for in competing for Avery Anderson, but he did say that he wants to have his decision made by the end of the month. So mm-hmm. him probably maybe make it way, make his way down to Waco. I don't know if he's going to get up to Omaha to visit Creighton or out to Lubbock to visit Texas tech. Um, but as a kid who is from Justin, Texas, originally played his high school basketball about 25 miles away from TCU's campus. I would say that right now, the frogs are the leader in the clubhouse to get him. Um, which means that uh, they would be done probably at guard in the portal, depending on what Damian Baugh does, which is a good segue into Damian Baugh's status because he played at the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament this weekend, Melissa, which can cause some problems for players with remaining eligibility. Yeah, and I was wrong about this. Uh, we got a comment on one of the articles. I thought that players were allowed to do so, um, but you have done some great research and given us an example from last season of uh, a player that was negatively impacted. Why don't you talk about what it says on the Portsmouth website and what we've learned over the last couple of seasons, how that can impact the player's ability to return to college? Yes, so as we get into this, just a reminder that Damian Baugh has already served one suspension for his college career for an NBA pre-draft violation that was the six games he's he served at the beginning of last season for hiring an agent that wasn't on the approved agents list by the ncaa and the nba uh so he's already got that on his ledger now playing in the portsmouth invitational they have this clause kind of written on the form that you fill out as a player to like sign up for the tournament uh and it says that um Please be advised that due to NCAA rules governing the NBA pre-draft process, participating in the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament may adversely impact a college player's ability to return to college and compete during the subsequent season. Thus, prior to accepting an invitation to participate in this tournament, college players who want to preserve the option of returning to college should consult with their head coach and the compliance department at their institution. So... Right out of the gate, they're like, you could lose the rest of your eligibility if you play in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Damian Baugh did that this weekend. Okay, so let's, let's, those are the facts right there. What we also know is that Courtney Ramey, who transferred to Texas, or sorry, transferred to Arizona from Texas last year, also played in this tournament and served a three-game suspension at the beginning of the season for playing in this tournament. So there's a precedent of a three-game suspension just last season for doing this, right? So in theory... Damian could come back. He'd just eat that three-game suspension at the beginning of the season, roll on and play. Well, something that I learned this weekend is that that suspension could actually grow up to about 18 games. And at that point, as Damian Ball, you really have to ask yourself, am I doing myself a, a disservice by coming back to college and sitting out for up to 18 games mm-hmm. when the NCAA is probably going to make my suspension longer because I've already been suspended for something similar? Or do I just hit the G league if I'm not going to get drafted in the NBA this year? And so, or play in Europe for a year or whatever it might be. Um, I think that's a really hard decision for a guy to make. who's trying to take care of his daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would not fault him 
regardless of what decision he ends up making. But this puts him in a little bit more of a limbo situation than we initially thought where he hadn't, he hasn't declared for the draft yet. Um, and I'm assuming that the reason he hasn't is because of trying to figure some of this stuff out. So, um, you know, it, it, it could end up being that Damien wants to come back and can't or wants to come back and is going to serve, you know, a 15 game suspension at the beginning of the year, which pushes you well into, you know, big 12 conference play before you're seeing Damian ball play. I think that the frogs average roughly 12 non-conference games a year. So you're talking about missing three big 12 conference games before you're even allowed to step back on the court. And then you're trying to adjust to to two or three new guards on the roster around you guys. It's kind of established their roles at that point. Uh, Sounds, sounds like a challenge to say the least. um, Yeah. And it puts TCU in a really difficult position as well, because you're either holding on to a scholarship for a guy that's going to miss well over half of the season, um, or you're telling a guy, look elsewhere, who's been really loyal to your program and does have a a family to support it. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate that once again, the NCAA can't get out of its own way um, of trying to give guys options, but then also really limiting their options. And the Portsmouth is such an important opportunity for guys like Kendrick Davis was their former TCU player. He's also spent time at SMU and Memphis was the, the all tournament uh, was a player of the tournament was the most outstanding player um, and, and had a great showing a guy who's really got to prove himself in order to make an NBA roster. And Damian Baugh is, is similar in that sense because he doesn't have the elite shooting, but he does so many other things. Well, um, I per- I know that, you know, he kind of got a, a mixed reviews on his draftability, but he is a guy that I think can find his way into the league, especially if he can work on that jumper a little bit. Another season could certainly benefit him at the college level, but another season could also hurt him. Um, he's, he's one of those guys now that's been in college for a long time and, there is such a thing as having too much tape on you, I think, as a, as a college guard, especially. And so it's going to be interesting to see his decision. Um, obviously, from a basketball perspective, he brings so much value to to both on the court and off the court in that program. He's such an important part of what Jamie Dixon wants to do on both ends of the floor. Um, but he's clearly got to make the right decision for him. Um, and it's unfortunate the NCAA is going to once again kind of put him in limbo uh, before he he's got some time. But TCU also needs to move kind of quickly when they're they're looking at other guards in addition to Avery Anderson the third um which transitions us nicely into another guy that's on that list um but maybe maybe not quite as high on the list as he used to be in Georgetown uh transfer Primo Spears yes so Primo is a kid who has narrowed his list down to four uh already that's TCU Arkansas uh Kansas and I can't remember who the fourth team is at this point I got you I got you but he's a guy who's already had an in-home visit with TCU. Like I said, he's going to be on campus uh, later this week. They're scheduled for Tuesday. We can see if that changes again. It's already changed once. Um, but he is um, a different kind of story than Avery Anderson III, simply because this is Spears' second transfer. So he transferred from Duquesne after two seasons there to Georgetown last year, had a really good year at Georgetown, and decided to hit the portal again because of a coaching change there. So... With Spears, you're going to have to get a waiver in order for him to be eligible right away. The NCAA will likely grant that waiver because of the coaching change at Georgetown, but that's not a guarantee, especially when they see that this is the second year in a row that a kid is transferring out. Okay. So, uh, you know, there are a lot, there's a, a pretty big looming question mark there for Spears, who has, you know, two years of eligibility remaining, but 
might have to sit one of those years out. Uh, and that doesn't help your team this upcoming year when you're already trying to replace Mike Miles and Damian Baugh and Shahada Wells, right? Because all three of those guys are likely going to be gone, depending on obviously what Damian Baugh ends up being able to do, like we just talked about. So that's kind of why they prioritize. They also, they like Avery Anderson's game more than Primo's at this point, because he's a bigger guard. He's faster. He's a better defender. He doesn't shoot the three ball nearly as well as Spears, but pretty much every other aspect of his game, they like more than they like Primo's. Um, And so he's kind of that backup plan to Anderson right now. Um, You know, some Georgetown folks, have have there have been some rumblings about him i don't want to really talk about rumors and stuff with spears i haven't met the kid i haven't talked to the kid i've reached out a couple times haven't heard from him but um you know primo if you're listening you know hit me back my guy let's let's clear everything up but um it's it's one of those situations where there's a pretty clear order of preference for tcu at this point and that's anderson one and spears two so We'll see kind of how things play out this week and in the coming weeks. I know that they're going to wait on Anderson as long as they possibly can before they make another move at the guard spot. Um, And that's just kind of where where they are right now as far as that's concerned. But we know that guard's not the only spot that they're looking for as well. And there's a big man on the, in the portal right now who they're really trying to, to make a run at that's Austin P center, Elijah Hutchins Everett. He's six eleven. He averaged, uh, you know, I think 10 points and nine rebounds, a game last year or something like that. A pretty, pretty good center at Austin P um, played three years there and has two years remaining to play. Um, and he would serve as a really good rim protector for TCU who already has two pretty athletic, but smaller centers in Assam Mustafa and Xavier Cork on the roster. Mustafa, who based on what I've talked about with coaches, this weekend they kind of see him maybe even as more of a stretch four, mm. um, which you could see Xavier and Mustafa on the court at the same time, which obviously is depending on Emmanuel Miller coming back and, and what that looks like as well for him. But uh, so maybe there's some, some roster flexibility there where they can bring in a six eleven guy, maybe have him even start next to Mustafa. Uh, and then you've got Xavier court coming off of the bench in that 20 to 25 minutes a game role. And relieving either of those spots uh, in a rotation, maybe with Emmanuel Miller as well, uh, and that I, that's a pretty solid uh, front yeah. court. If you if you ask yeah. me, you know, pairing that with a three of of Chuck and, and Micah, um, again, I think that's that's a really good foundation of a front court for, for the Frogs to build. A off lot of. more depth than they were playing with towards the end of this year, for sure, especially on the defensive end of the ball, um, and a lot more rebounding mm-hmm. too, which yes. I think is a huge part of that. Yes. And uh, so there's another kid too, who's not in the portal yet, who allegedly has reached out to TCU, who is from the state of Texas, plays for a current blue blood who um, could be another option should he enter the portal. I think the expectation is that he's going to enter the portal on Monday, if not Tuesday. Um, So we could know earlier in the week this week, uh, if there's another option for TCU to pursue as far as big men are concerned. Uh, another shot blocker, another really good rebounder uh, who who could be in purple and white next year. So all of this really kind of hinges on how many roster spots the Frogs actually yeah. have left, which is anywhere from one to three at this point, depending on what Damian Ball and Emmanuel Miller ultimately decide to do. So we're going to give yeah. you all of the um, up-to-date information here on Frogs Insider as far as who's being pursued, the number of roster spots they've got. I'm talking to to folks around the program pretty much every day at this point. So 
we'll, we'll have the latest info for you there. Um, but it's it's going to be an exciting month to see kind of what TCU's roster ends up actually looking like because then you have the fun job of starting to project who starts, what responsibilities look yeah. like, and what could this team's potential be for this upcoming year with them bringing in all of these veteran guys and not to mention two pretty highly res- uh, thought of freshmen in Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning who yeah. uh, are expected to contribute to this thing as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, you know, it's such, such a great... Uh, a couple of years, but a, but a team that couldn't quite get over the hump, um, but to be able to reload instead of have to rebuild, I think is is really exciting and keep the positive momentum in the program going, um, which is kind of the opposite way we're feeling right now about TCU baseball. Um, yes. This has got to be the most Jekyll and Hyde TCU baseball team I've seen in, in at least the last five or six years, um, especially for one that came in with such high expectations. Um, We've talked about this ad nauseum, but replaced so many key pieces, um, you know, revamped almost all of the infield. You've been starting a freshman catcher for most of the year. Um, you've replaced 70% of your innings um, a lot with true freshmen, but a very disappointing result this weekend after um, a, a huge series win um, a, a week ago to come back out and drop two out of three to UNC Wilmington, not just to lose those games, but to really kind of get embarrassed on Friday and Sunday, um, just the inability to stop the bleeding, um, put a decent amount of runs on the board each day, but something just is not right with this program and the ability to be able to not just win, but win consistently and win games you're supposed to win. Yes. So this is going to lead, this could be a full episode of, of frogs insider right here. Uh, and maybe, maybe next week, if things really come to an ahead after the West Virginia uh, series we just sit down and we spend time only on baseball but um, here's kind of where I want to talk about TCU baseball right now is obviously this was an embarrassing weekend this is two out of the last three weekends where you've lost the series losing at Texas Tech at Lubbock is I wouldn't say acceptable but it's understandable yeah. Yeah. right winning two out of three against the top 20 Oklahoma State team at home is something that you can pair with that one and two series in Lubbock and say, okay, well, yeah. bad weekend, bounce back. Things are going to be okay. Then you come into a weekend like this where you lose 14 to six on Friday. You lose 12 to six on Sunday. Neither of your starters do anything for you. Uh, and, and then you're, you're relying on bullpen and and chasing from behind to um, to try and catch up and, and win a baseball series. And, and <clears throat> this is kind of the opposite of the problem that TC was having about five weeks ago where the pitching was performing lights out and they couldn't produce any runs. So we've seen this kind of roller coaster where both of these sides of the baseball have gone in opposite directions over the last few months and created the same problem essentially for Kirk Sarlos and his coaching staff. But I want to boil it down to know how I think about baseball and what the biggest issues for this team are right now boiling baseball down to what matters it's all about runs right if you've Mm -hmm. seen if you don't know anything about baseball but you've seen the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt right like you know that the most valuable thing in baseball are runs how many you score how many prevent the other team from scoring TCU is 17th in the country right now in total runs scored with about 285 that's great. They are 145th-ish in the country and runs allowed with about 210. Oof. 
That's it. That's a that's significant gap. Yeah. That's not great. Why is that the case, right? So you, you see that and you say, why is that the case? Okay. Starting pitching is the first part of that. Mm -hmm. TCU lost 71% of their starts from a season ago because of roster turnover this offseason. They lost their four main starters on the weekend. They lost a week uh, a weekday starter to Tommy John surgery. Um, and that equated to about that those starters plus some of the bullpen guys that are no longer here equated to about 67% of their total innings pitched last year. I think I have those numbers flipped. I think it was 67% of their starts and 72% of their innings pitched last year are no right. longer yeah. on the roster. So right out of the gate, if you're looking at TCU coming into this season, one of your big questions is what is the pitching staff going to look like? How are they replacing all of that production? And are they able to replace all of that production with quality pitching? Right? So what does Kirk Sarlos do this offseason? He hits the portal. He brings in Hunter Hodges. He brings in Ryan Vanderhey. He brings in Sam Stoutenborough are the three main transfers that he brought in to help shore some things up. He also had a really good freshman class of arms come in with yeah. Chase Hoover, Ben Abelt, Cole Klecker, who has been the only reliable starting pitcher for yeah. about a month now. And he's been um, unbelievable. Luis reliable Rodriguez, doesn't even right. begin. Yeah. Uh, Luis Rodriguez, who's uh, been out the last couple of weekends with, with some shoulder stuff, um, you know, and, and so you've got this core of freshmen and transfers that you hope can come in and provide similar level of production to the guys that left, but then you're like, okay, well you're replacing Riley Cornelio and Marcelo Perez yeah. and Austin Krobe and right. Like you're not, you're not going to get that same level of production. So it's reasonable then that the pitching would take a step back regardless of how much talent there is on this roster. And there is an abundance at the pitching position. You're going to take a little bit of a step back. Yes. Compound that with the fact that Luke Savage has missed time with an injury. Hunter Hodges pitched for the first time two weeks ago because of an injury. Louis Rodriguez has missed time with an injury. Garrett Wright has missed time with an injury. River Ridings has missed time with an injury. And so these are all guys that you were going to rely on at other at significant moments in the season that you haven't had available to you. So now Kirk Sarlos is not only replacing a ton of production, he's replacing the replacements because of injuries this season. So pitching takes a little bit of a step back. Is giving up, what is that? Uh 31 runs in a weekend to UNC Wilmington acceptable? Absolutely not. It's not. They scored 11 runs with two outs in that Sunday game and absolutely blew the doors off of TCU that way. That's just not acceptable, but it's understandable to an extent because of what they've had to replace from 2022. The next thing that you really have to think about, I'm going to mute while I call, is defense. And this is going to lead me to my next point. TCU has committed 34 errors through 36 games this year. Seems compared, bad. Compared to last year, they, com they, they committed 48 errors in 60 games. Yes, they replaced their middle infield this year. They replaced Tommy Sacco and Gray Rogers with Anthony Silva and Trey Richardson. Trey Richardson committed three errors all of last year. Anthony Silva was an MLB prospect because of his defense mm -hmm. at shortstop, right? So you've got these two guys who come in and you're thinking, we'll figure out the bats part of this, but the defense is going to be pretty acceptable, especially when you consider the fact that you've got the big 12 preseason player of the year and Braden Taylor coming back at third base. And you've got David Bishop, who is supposed to be starting at first base 
who you think, okay, well, he was learning the position at first base last year. He hit the cover off the ball as a freshman early on in the season. This is an opportunity for him to take a big step forward. So really, truly, the core of an even better defensive infield was there right in front of you coming into this season. Now, that simply has not been the case for TCU. Braden Taylor has seven errors already this year. He had eight all of last season. Silva, as a freshman, seven. I think we've talked about him a little bit on previous episodes where, and and the same thing is can be said for Braden Taylor, they get to so many baseballs that other infielders don't get to, that there are simply more opportunities for errors to take place. And we're seeing that happen so far this year through 36 And also, games. also play two of the hardest positions sure. in the sport. And yeah, Silva's a freshman yeah. and he's missed some time. So you, you expect there to be some errors out of that position, but maybe it's gotten to the point to where it feels excessive. It feels excessive. There was another one on Sunday and uh, this it's going to go down as Braden Taylor's seventh error of the year. I really think that Cam Brown, who made a couple very bad decisions from a fielding his position standpoint mm-hmm. on Sunday uh, could have helped out his third baseman a little bit and didn't. Um, but the reality is that TCU's defensive infield has not been up to standard this year. I mean, David Bishop has played so poorly this year, both in the field and at the plate that Cole Fontenelle has completely replaced. Him. Yeah. David Bishop got an at bat, got at bats as DH on a Sunday this weekend. And that wasn't because he played first base the other two days of the weekend. Right. So, I yeah. mean, he is, he has played his way out of the lineup as much as Cole Fontenelle has played his way into the lineup. Fontenelle only has two errors to his credit, but he's also splitting time at first base. He hasn't been there the whole season. Uh, David Bishop had three errors already on his ledger prior to losing his starting spot. So between Taylor, Silva, Bishop, Fontenelle, and Richardson, you're talking about uh what is that 23 of the 34 errors on those five infielders so this makes the question yeah what what is what is because none of these guys have ever proven themselves to be poor defensive players previously i mean we don't have a whole lot on cole fontanelle but you know you've got pretty exceptional players at second third and though he's a true freshman like you said Silva has been a draft prospect because of his defensibility. And we've seen he's an elite athlete at that position at the very least. Yes. Um, So the question is, all right, well, what's going on and why didn't we see some of this happening last year? Okay. So the first easy thing to say is, all right, returning production, uh, Tommy Sacco and Gray Rogers were both super seniors, both playing their fifth year of baseball, both having started the bulk of their games at TCU uh, and, and really, um, you know, kind of locked it down, did their thing. The second thing that you look at is, all right, well, who is coaching those positions now? Because you're moving away from Bill Moziello, who's been here for a decade, does things a very specific way, recruited a lot of these kids to come play for him uh, and coached a very particular way, which we've talked about on this, on this podcast before was I'm going to expect perfection from you. And at the end of every day, I'm going to tell you that I love you, right? It's very, very high expectations pretty hard-nosed guy but has that caring edge of hey i know you're gonna fall short of the perfect expectations which is why i tell you that i love you every day right um 
to a very different style of coaching from TJ Bruce, who's coming in in his first year. He's giving up the reins of being a head coach from Nevada and coming in and is now an associate head coach with some, some similar responsibilities at Nevada, but also uh, some different expectations from a program mm -hmm. standpoint than he was facing at Nevada. And to this point, some of the two biggest inconsistent things of the season outside of starting pitching, we've, which we've talked about a little bit and is very clearly a Kirk Sarlos sure. area issue. And he talked about that very briefly after the game on Sunday. Um, they also only put up four hits on Sunday. Mm. And two of those were home runs from Brayden Taylor, one of which was a grand slam, which made the game look a little bit closer than it actually probably was. So you've got some hitting woes from a lot of players. Elijah Nunez has not been hitting well this year. Like we mentioned, David Bishop uh, hit his way out of the lineup this year. Uh, Luke Boyers is hitting sub 240 right now, yeah. striking out a ton. Um, and, and so some of these older players who are transitioning into a new hitting coach are struggling. You know, Braden Taylor before the last two weeks was really struggling at the plate. He was seeing a lot more left-handed pitching. He was seeing a lot more stuff on the outer third of the plate and he was not producing at the result at the level, um, we're, we're expecting Braden Taylor to produce. So you start to have to ask, and yes, we're not even a full season in we're 36 games into him being here, you know? what is how much of this is a player talent issue and how much of this is a coaching culture issue that TCU baseball is starting to deal with right now. Um, there have been some rumblings about some of the older players on the team that are frustrated with his approach. Uh, TJ Bruce's that is. Um, and there have been some rumblings about uh, you know, how that's all being handled internally. Um, and I think that that is a big reason for, some of the inconsistent play we're seeing on the baseball field, right? Like if, if coaches aren't on the same page or if um, a coach is coming in and trying to change some methodology methodologies that have been around for a long time and, and older players are maybe a little bit resistant to that. Uh, that's all a recipe for some really good days and some really, really bad days. And unfortunately for TCU right now, they're putting some of those bad days out on the field against opponents that, from an RPI perspective, if you want to host, you simply can't lose to. Yeah. Like yeah. we're not talking, I mean, UNC Wilmington's a fine program. I think they're like 21 and 13 now after this weekend, but you can't drop a series to UNC Wilmington. You can't drop on your a series on yeah. your home. You can't drop a series to Florida state. You can't yeah. drop a midweek game to Tarleton state or Abilene Christian or UT Arlington. Right. And they've lost to one of those teams already this year. So you've got to start stringing good, good days together. If you're TCU baseball, it is that it is put up or shut up time of the year. This upcoming weekend, you travel to West Virginia, a top 25 team who will kick your ass. Yeah. If you are not careful the weekend after that, you come home and you host Texas who will kick your ass. If you're not careful the weekend after that, you get a little bit of a respite with Baylor coming to town over mother's day weekend, but, uh, but they've, you, they've had, some they've, they've nice started to turn, too. they've started yeah. to turn it on too. Right. A little bit. They've gotten some wins under their belt now as well. And it's a rivalry weekend and anything can happen in baseball, just like it can in basketball and football. So if TCU is not careful, they could walk into their locker room three weeks from now and no longer not even be in second place in the Big 12, but be out of the conversation for hosting a regional and be part of that middle of the pack Big 12 in a year where the Big 12, frankly, is not as talented not, as it yeah. normally is. You know, I would say at best, the Big 12 right now is the third strongest conference in baseball behind the SEC and the ACC. 
Um, and, and being in the middle of the pack of the third best conference in the country is not going to get you a bid. No. So we're, we're, we're kind of at a fork in the road where things could turn and guys can pull it together. The coaching staff can figure it out and they can go compete for a big 12 championship and host a regional, or they could miss the tournament. And that's not an exaggeration for, for this team right now. If they do not figure it out and they keep dropping weekend series like this, they will not make the NCAA tournament this year. So you know, we've kind of talked around a lot of the issues. There's not a whole lot you can do about the pitching. It kind of is what it is. You're getting some guys back healthy. You know, you're getting some guys back worked into form. You know, we've seen um, a couple of those injured guys start to come back. You know, Luis Rodriguez, Garrett Wright, River Ridings um, has a ways to go, but is at least back out there. What are some fundamental changes that can happen for TCU basketball or TCU baseball that can turn this thing around, or is it just going to be a matter of kind of tightening the laces and figuring it out on the field? I think it's a little bit of both because I mean, <clears throat> I, I guess it leads into the question of how much of an impact does an assistant coach have midweek, right? Um, because I think a lot of these issues, and I'm not necessarily saying all of this to say that this is TJ Bruce's fault, but what I am saying is when you undergo a head coaching change one year, and then you undergo an assistant coaching change the following year. That's a lot of coaching turnover in baseball where you have three, yeah. maybe four paid coaches on staff. Right. And so you're undergoing a ton of change from a coaching standpoint, which means you're inevitably going to undergo a lot of change from a culture and, uh, you know, kind of daily structure programming standpoint, uh, especially when that assistant coach is in charge of two big things like hitting and defensive infield. That's going to change the, the, the face of your team. It's going to change the, what your team does and what it looks like. You know, we've talked about some of the negative impacts so far. One of the positive things, TCU stealing almost one base more per game this year yeah. than they were a year ago. And they were already a really good base stealing team. Yeah. Right. So you're seeing the impact positive and negative of, of, of Bruce being on staff. And that's some on him. Absolutely. And that's some on players, whether they're not responding well to his coaching, whether they're not understanding his coaching or whether they're not listening to his coaching. You know, there's a mutual responsibility here to figure it out because you've got, you know, six weekends, seven weekends left in the season. And do you really want to be the first TCU baseball team uh, or, or the second baseball team in what the last 15 years to not make the NCAA tournament? You really want that on your ledger, Braden yeah. Taylor, Elijah Nunez, Austin Davis. Some of these guys that have come in and, and really performed well, you know, AD's played great this year for the most part, not hitting at the plate right now, but that's, you know, par for the course for most of these guys. So I think really, if you're TCU baseball, you're looking at yourself in the mirror going into this week, weekday matchup against Lamar and you're saying, get this win. And then we have to figure it out before we travel to Morgantown. Otherwise we're going to get our ass handed to us by the Mountaineers. So that, I mean, that's kind of my concern though, is that we've seen, you know, we saw them do that last week or, or heading into the Oklahoma state series. You know, they lose, they drop a tough series in Lubbock. They come out, they put, put together a midweek win. They look really dominant. They're hitting the ball. They're throwing the ball well. And then they, you know, beat Oklahoma state. And then they kind of come back to earth against UNC Wilmington. There, there doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency, obviously, you know, how, how much of that can fall on the players? You know, if there is some type of fracture between the players and the coaching staff or part of the coaching staff, how do some of these guys like Elijah Nunez and Braden Taylor, um, who are guys that have been there, been stalwarts on this team, take more of a leadership role and take more ownership for what's going on on the field and the things that they can control as players? 
Well, it, it's a, it's about setting the example for everybody else, right? So in any kind of workplace situation, whether it's, it's player and coach or, or coworkers in a, at a, at a fortune 500 company or a nonprofit or a university or whatever it is, you're not going to agree with every methodology, with every call, with every decision sure. that your manager, your boss, your coach makes. That's just not how life works, right? But what you have to do, if you're one of the leaders in this locker room, and that's, that is specifically Curtis Byrne, Braden Taylor, Elijah Nunez, Garrett Wright, some of these guys that have been around for a little while, Cam Brown even, uh, you have to stand up and you have to say, we're going to work our asses off every single day. We're going to do everything the coaches expect us to do because the, they've been put in a position to try and make us successful. There is no reason not to trust them. There is no reason not to do what they are asking us to do. We have to trust that the results will come. But if that's not happening in the middle of the week, it's definitely not going to happen on the weekends. So uh, those, there needs to be some guys that step up in that locker room and say, this is unacceptable. You know, I think back to the early 2010s teams, uh, you know, Brian Holiday's locker room speech that has become legend now in this, in the middle of that super regional against Texas, where they win the first game on Friday, they lose the second game on Saturday. And after that game on Saturday, you know, they're in the Texas home locker room. Uh, Holiday kicks uh, Schloss and the, and the rest of the coaching staff out of the locker room while UT players are standing outside waiting to get into their locker room. And he's, he's giving his team the business. And he finishes that by saying, I don't know where the hell you guys are going, but I'm going to Omaha. Hmm. Right. And that was the speech that got them over the hump on Sunday to win that super regional and make it to Omaha for the first time. I haven't seen from any of these guys on the current roster, the, the want to, or the will or the ability to lead this team in that way. They don't have to lead it exactly in that way, but there needs to be a voice in that locker room that provides clarity and direction from a player perspective. And as much as that might be lacking right now, I think the coaching staff needs to get on the same page. I think the coaches need to get on the same page with the players. There's a lot of inconsistency, I think, happening behind the scenes that is creating all of this inconsistency on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it just seems like everybody needs to get on the same page and that's easier said than done in the pressure of being in the middle of a big 12 season. Mm -hmm. um, and even if the big 12 baseball conference as a whole is not as strong as it's been historically, it's still not going to be an easy weekend. Any of those weekends, especially for a team that's struggling the way that TCU is um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do down the stretch um, if they can kind of pull it together. But yeah, you're kind of waiting for that players only meeting as cliche as it is to be the thing that maybe kind of gets everybody back together because at, at this point you can't change anything other you really can't change anything you are who you are you have the guys mm -hmm. that you have can you kind of pull it together and just say we need to step up as players or you know have a have a conversation of how that communication needs to happen um but yeah you don't you don't want to be the first the first TCU team to to not get into the postseason, and like you said, I think that they're certainly in danger of that being the case unless something changes dramatically here over the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, simply put, there is a standard at, at, for this program more than any other TCU athletics program of not only making the playoffs but competing for national championships. Yeah, right. I mean, we've talked about beach volleyball and equestrian, and and uh, maybe rifle is the only other one that could say the same thing as baseball, where your expectation is to be one of the last team standings year in and year yeah. out. And yeah. it's a reasonable expectation built on 
previous success based on the fact that the coaching turnover has not been too great since the last couple of years and that you are recruiting at an elite level and you have been for almost two decades now. Yes. And, and so there's really no excuse at this point for such inconsistent play outside of, you know, some other issues that are happening off the field that they absolutely have to get figured out. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, and time is running out, you know, the big 12 tournament will be here just over a month and you don't have it figured out by then you probably won't. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that about wraps it up. We ended kind of a little bit of a down note here. We started out Satch. so positive. Yeah. Talking about the, uh, talking about the, the spring game. I have a high note. I have a high note. Because you, you know, we, we talked about at, at the top of the show, you talked about being a part of the Dave Campbell's Texas football network about the Republican football network and, and how excited we are to do that. Well, you were the first of the two of us to have branched out and been on another one of these shows that is yeah, in the network. That's right talking yeah. with the WTF women of women talking football. So tell me a little bit about that experience uh, and what that was like. Yeah, that was super awesome. Um, I was super excited to get invited on. Uh, Mallory Hartley and Ashley Pickle are the ones that are hosting that show. Um, Mallory and I connected. Um, we actually had a lot of mutuals here because again, I'm going to age myself, but she grew up with some of my former students. And so I saw, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like we know a lot of the same people. So we connected, we were kind of chatting and she was like, Hey, Come on the podcast tomorrow. Um, and so it was awesome to be on there. Um, I am currently the only female uh, host on the Republic of Football Network outside of the Republic of Football show that Mallory co-hosts on. Um, and so it was awesome to sit down with two other just really, really awesome women um, who are doing a great job covering football around the state of Texas. Uh, they talked a lot of high school football, which is not my expertise in the in the state. And it was cool to kind of listen into them. And then I got to just kind of share my story and my journey and my passion for covering TCU um, athletics and TCU football, especially. So it was a lot of fun to jump on. Um, that's one of the things I'm most excited about with being a part of the public of football network is there are so many great shows. Um, and then there's also between two bears and gambling gachos, but there's so many good ones. Just kidding guys. You know, I love y'all. Um, I don't always like you, but I do love them. Um, but yeah, there's so many great shows. I think that the, especially once football season kicks into gear here this fall, uh, you and I will both get a lot of opportunities to appear with other folks and to also have other folks on our show. Um, mm-hmm. and one of my things I've done at every stop along my career is, is kind of a, uh, you know, beyond behind enemy lines. And one of my favorite things to do is to talk to people that cover, cover the opponent and get their inside scoop. I'm already super excited um, to, to get to talk to, to Brian again, covering Colorado uh, because good Lord, both of our fortunes have changed dramatically. And since, since we talked last year, so, yes. but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, there'll be a lot of that coming up and a lot of that coming up with, uh, with the big 12 shows, which should be tons of fun. It absolutely should be. So if you haven't go listen to that episode of Melissa on WTF, uh, an excellent episode of women talking football. You can find us as always on Spotify and Apple podcasts and wherever you get your podcast, part of the Republic of football network at Dave Campbell's Texas football or on the frogs insider stream as well, wherever you stream it, make sure that you download it because those are the numbers that matter. Uh, we are going to have a very fun announcement on next week's episode of the podcast. I thought it was going to maybe happen this week It is going to for sure happen next week. Uh, got to iron out one thing. Uh, about one sponsor that's going to be partnering with Frogs Insider. Uh, very excited about their involvement with the show uh, and some of the stuff that we're going to be partnering with them and doing outside of the podcast as well. Um, and if you're so interested in being one of those sponsors, feel free to hit Jamie or I up, yes. uh, email DM, whatever else. Um, we'll we'll have just a couple other slots available, but want to partner with local local brands and people that love TCU the way we do. 
Absolutely. It's going to be going to be a fun adventure from here on out for sure for Frogs Insider and, and the folks that we partner up with. So look for that. Uh, look for us everywhere that you can find your podcast and at the Patreon, patreon.com slash Frogs Insider. Uh, we're going to have the most up-to-date basketball and baseball information, some recruiting news as well for football coming down the pipe soon. So make sure that you're subscribed. Three bucks a month. That's all we're asking. Buy us a beer once a month, how about, or one of us half a beer once a month. And uh, we're going to keep providing you with with as much TCU content as you can possibly want. But, you know, Melissa, I think that's going to wrap it up for yeah. us today. So until next week, go Frogs. Go Frogs and light the beam. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so ridiculous.